Hey everybody, this is Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight, with me, your boy, Noah Petrie. I know, I know what you're thinking, another MMA podcast. I know, there's a lot of us out there, but if you like bold, unapologetic hot takes, a detailed, broken down view of the fight game, and of course, stomach-hurting comedy, well, come to the right place. What's going on, everyone? This is episode 12, ep 12, of R6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight. Me, your freaking boy, Noah Petrie. Excuse my voice in this episode. My voice is, my throat is unbelievably sore. It's just, I sound like I smoked 20 packs of Marlboros. I just don't sound good right now. This is what it is. Um, I should be better next couple of days, but my throat is just cruised. Just doesn't sound good at all. So I'm going to be going over this just this past weekend of Yair against Brian Ortega that fight night. And of course, going to be covering next week's fight night, technically this week's fight night, which will be UFC London, Aspinall against Curtis Blades. And of course, all the MMA news and drama that's happening in the MMA sphere. So I'm not going to do any buffer. We're just going to jump right into it. So first, I want to cover one fight on the prelims that I think is noteworthy, which was Algeo against Baby Burns. Baby Burns is Gilbert Burns' little brother. I coined the term Baby Burns. I haven't heard anyone else call him Baby Burns, so like, if people start calling him Baby Burns, then you know it came from me. But here's the thing. One, Baby Burns' jiu-jitsu is extremely, extremely, extremely good. His brother is a, what, fourth-degree black belt, which is fucking insane. Literally insane. A fourth-degree black belt. Like, there's black belts, and then there's several tiers above that. That's what Gilbert Burns is. I don't know the degree of black belt that his brother is. It's probably, what, first or second. He's definitely a black belt. That's that's one thing for sure. But probably first or second degree, somewhere around there. So his jiu-jitsu is extremely high level. Extremely, extremely, extremely high level jiu-jitsu we're talking about here. Like, there's black belts, and then there's guys like that. You know, they're world caliber. So Burns sinking the triangle, and he basically he was squeezing on that triangle for the first, what, two minutes of the fight, somewhere around there, a minute, minute and a half, two minutes. Dude was just squeezing. Eventually, Algeo was, was able to get out of the triangle and was just raining down ground and pound. But, dude, Burns looked exhausted afterwards. I remember hearing the commentary team saying, you know, um... If he doesn't, like, this is going to burn out your legs because he's using all his energy to get a submission. If he's not able to get it, his legs are going to feel like spaghetti, which we all know. Like, if you're not able to get a submission using your legs, your legs are going to feel like shit afterwards. Like, a lot of time when a fighter uses a body triangle and they're in a standing position and they're trying to get a rear naked choke in that regard, like, you either get that rear naked choke or your legs going to be done the next round. So, this was definitely the case here, but it was times 10. I'd never seen anything like it. Like the dude literally, Baby Burns literally struggled getting back up to his corner and he just looked exhausted. Granted, he did have a, uh, I believe he had an injury um, regarding his knee, his right knee somewhere. I don't know the exact injury, but I know it was within that area. Um, so he did have some knee problems that he was, uh, they had in the past. So that was looming. But. Dude, it didn't, it didn't seem like it was an injury of the knee. 
because if you're if you have an injury of the knee, you know you're limping, you're can't walk straight. He just looked tired, bro. He just straight up looked tired. And then that and the doctor, what I don't understand is the referee brought the doctor in to take a look at him. He looked perfectly fine. He wasn't injured. He just was tired. So they gave him extra an extra couple of seconds after he got off the stool there. The referee continued the fight. And they just had to call it off right away because Baby Burns just looked fucking exhausted. He looked exhausted. I've never seen a fighter that exhausted after the first round. I, I, it was crazy. It was literally crazy. It didn't make any sense. I don't know if he had a very terrible weight cut, but you squeezing for a minute to two minutes in a triangle should not result in that. Because I've seen countless fighters done that before. Literally countless fighters using body triangles, regular triangles, triangle submissions, like or any type of submission regarding their legs. And yes, it is, it is going to drain out your stamina a little bit. But it shouldn't get to the point where you can't even stand anymore. Like you can't even fight anymore due to exhaustion. And it's only been around. It's only been five, six minutes. It was honestly just embarrassing. It was it was embarrassing to see. And I'm not trying to shit on Baby Burns. Obviously, I'm not a fighter, so I don't know what was going through or you know how exhausting it, it really is, etc. But dude, it was just embarrassing to see, man. Like if I was his corner. If I was his coaches, if I was him, I'd be extremely, extremely, extremely embarrassed. I don't, I didn't see what Dana White had to say about it. I don't know if maybe it was a leg injury, because you know the 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 uh, doctors went in afterwards and the fight was over, started checking the leg, etc. But I don't think it was that. that he was just exhausted, and if he was just exhausted that much after you know squeezing on a triangle for a minute or two, bro. I don't know what to tell you. That's fucking embarrassing. If he ends up getting cut, I really wouldn't be surprised because it's that embarrassing. It makes you look bad. It honestly makes promotion and sport look bad, especially when it was on a big card too. It, it's just not a good look. It's not a good look at all. So maybe he could bounce back from this. I don't know if it was, again, a leg injury or it was a weight cut issue. But either way, it's just straight up embarrassing. Now I want to get into Lauren Murphy against Misha Tate. And I was surprised the how much Misha Tate was favored in this fight. She came in, what, minus 200? So she was the heavy favorite coming into this fight, even though she lost her last fight pretty definitively. And she was dropping down in weight. I don't think I've ever seen her fight in this weight division before ever. So she was dropping down in weight for the first time too. And on top of that, she's been out the game for so long. So I was shocked that she was even the favorite in this fight. And, you know, Lauren Murphy's a dog. She, granted, can't be Shevchenko, but she can give a lot of people in that division a run for their money. So I bet money on on Lauren Murphy. She's plus 200. I'm like, fuck it. I just threw in like 100 bucks on Lauren Murphy, right? And right off the gate, the first thing that I've noticed was how much bigger Lauren Murphy was compared to Misha Tate, which was shocking because Misha Tate fought at Bantamweight her whole career. She fought at 135 her whole career. So dropping down the straw rate, you would think she would have the bigger frame and be the the bigger girl out of the two. But dude, Laura Murphy looked jacked. She looked huge compared to Misha Tate. And other thing that shocked me during that fight was, I mean, the stand-up was fairly back and forth for the fight. I did have it for Laura Murphy. Laura Murphy was doing the most damage. Misha Tate was starting to get busted up in that fight. But then again, Misha Tate gets busted up in every fight. But what was kind of shocking to me was that Misha Tate wasn't able to get one takedown during the entire fight. 
not one takedown. She was 0 for 15, which is insane because that's that's her bread and butter. That's her game. Before her nickname was Cupcake, it was Misha Takedown Tate. So the fact that she wasn't able to get a takedown was very alarming to me. And Laura Murphy said before, she she says that, you know, um, people, these women don't understand how strong I am. So they're in the octagon with me. And she looked strong, man. She looked jacked. She was way, she was the bigger girl of the two by far. So this was a, not a great matchup for Misha Tate. And I'm honestly shocked how heavy the favorite she was. I think the, the bookmakers just made her a favorite because of her name value and the fact that she was a former champion. But the other thing that I've noticed is that, bro, the game just passed Misha Tate by, man. It passed her by. It just simply passed her by. She doesn't have it anymore. And it's crazy because Lauren Murphy is the older fighter of the two. Lauren Murphy is turning 40 pretty soon. And Misha Tate's only 35. So the game just passed Misha by. You know, she's been out of the game for years. Um, she was she came up during the time of like obviously Ronda Rousey and that second generation of women's fighters. So she's been in the game for a while. She's been out of the game for years, and the game just passed her by, man. Do I think Misha could still be good fighters? Yeah. I still think Misha could be a lot of good fighters. But I don't think she's beating the upper echelons, cream of the cream, top of the division fighters anymore. She's definitely not beating champions of the divisions. I don't think she'll ever get a title shot again. But at that point, what's left for Misha? Like, did you really just come out of retirement to fight people a tier or two below what you were fighting before you, you retired? You know, are you content with just fighting fighter that fighting fighters that you know, aren't championship level caliber and knowing that you'll never probably fight for the belt ever again. Even with your name value, like Misha Tate could literally win two fights against two random opponents and they'll give her a title shot just because of her name. But my thing is, can she get those two wins? Can she rack up wins? So I think personally, I think Misha should just retire again, man. Like if, if you know that you can't make that run for the belt. You tried at 135. You didn't get it. You tried at 125. And 125 is a much shallower division. You couldn't get it. What's that for you to do? You can't go down to 115. That's not possible. Like, especially at her age and weight cutting that much. Like, 125 was a was surprising that she was able to cut that weight. So you can't do 115. So what's left for you? I think she should just retire, to be honest with you. I think her time is done. She has she had her time in the light. Every dog has her day. She was champion at one point. She did a lot for women's MMA in general. She did, and just MMA in general because she had a high ranking position over at One FC before she came back over to the UFC. So I think like an executive position, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So she was doing a lot for MMA in the octagon, outside the octagon. So I just think. Her time is done, and she should just go into retirement again. To be honest with you, now I want to go. I want to go over Schnell against Sumanjari, and dude, this is this fight was crazy, man. This fight was a roller coaster of emotions. This fight was insane. You know what's funny? I was actually gonna bet on Schnell in this fight. I was actually going to bet on Schnell in this fight, but. I didn't see a clear path to victory for Chanel. I did know that he has the, the grappling prowess out of the two, but seeing the you know the current status of his career right now, his current stretch, 
I didn't feel comfortable putting money on him, but fuck, I regret it, bro. I fucking regret it because, dude, this fight was insane. He literally won just straight off on willpower. I mean, let me get into the fight. So the first round, Chanel was able to get the takedown. Um, he goes into a triangle. Sumajari gets out of the triangle. He goes into armor plata. Sumajari literally picks up Schnell and drops him. I'm ne I was never a fan of that. I was never a fan of fighters picking up, you know, if they're in a submission, picking their opponent up and dropping them. I mean, you have some of like the most famous noteworthy cases like Rampage doing it and um, fuck, Matt Hughes doing it, you know, completely knocking out their opponents. I mean, Matt Hughes was knocked out too, but we're not against that. But so you have those famous cases of fighters doing it. But for the most part, I feel like if you do that, you're just driving the submission in deeper. You know, you could just just make shit a lot worse. And on top of that, even if you don't make things worse and you end up in the same position you were still before picking your opponent up and dropping them, you just exerted so much energy doing that. So I was never a big fan of fighters doing that, but Sumajari picks up Snell, drops him, literally didn't change a goddamn thing. Um, I, I believe Sumajari was able to get out of it. They got back to the feet and then back in the downwards position. So that first round definitely goes to Snell. That was Snell's first round. Clearly, he had the grappling prowess there. Now, the second round, second round was a complete different story. That second round, Sumajari was just landing that left hand, man. He was landing it left and right. He was just cracking Schnell left and right with the left hand. Just nonstop, over and over and over again. And then when he got to close quarters, he started raining down big elbows. Big elbows. Now, what he kind of messed up on Sumajari was that he kept going to the elbow. The same elbow that landed the first time that was devastating, he kept using that same move over and over and over again. He wasn't mixing it up. Like for instance, because when he first landed that elbow, he took he used his left hand to take Schnell's left hand out of guarding and rain the elbow. So Schnell was already expecting that. Sumajari kept doing over and over again, which if you want to go in that position is fine, but you can switch it up. There were times where um, Schnell was leaning a little bit too much forward and you could have faked that you're going to throw the elbow but then throw a knee which would have landed because Schnell wasn't expecting that so I just think that at range Sumajari was letting Schnell up what he fucked up with was uh he started going to close quarters combat Schnell was able to land at him a few times rock Sumajari Sumajari throws a right hand Schnell ducks under gets a double leg takes him down raining down ground and pound just completely raining down ground and pound then eventually ended the fight with a triangle submission it went full circle we started with a triangle we ended with a triangle and the fight was just crazy man most fighters wouldn't have made it out that fight Schnell won literally just off willpower his willpower was stronger than Sumajari's at that one point like the fact that he was able to persevere is fucking insane and on top of that most referees would have called the fight during that point because there was times where Schnell was getting tagged and his body was just like shut off for a second and go right back on so he would start dropping and come right back up and he did it you know three four times most referees would have stopped the fight up in that up until that point before he was able to rally and get a comeback but dude Schnell's intestinal fortitude is fucking insane that fight was amazing
is definitely a fight of the year candidate. Some people are saying the greatest comeback of all time. I wouldn't say it's the greatest comeback of all time. My greatest comeback of all time is definitely Silva against Chael Sonnen. Because when you look at the magnitude of the fight, all the trash talking that was happening beforehand, um, the fact that it was a uh, title fight and literally Silva was losing you know, 23, 22 minutes of the entire fight, then sink in a, a triangle to, to win it all. So for me, that's still the greatest comeback of all time. But this is it's definitely up there. I would say maybe top 10, definitely top 15. Definitely top 15. Now I want to get into Lee against Solikov. I bet money on Lee in this fight. Now, I think Selikov was coming a little bit off of a layoff. I think it was like two years, somewhere around there. Lee has been active. Granted, you know that he's known for that fight with Shemaev that lasted a few seconds. I do think if they would have stand up on the feet, it would have been a very much a very different fight. But Shemaev they had a smart game plan and taking Lee down and submitting him. Um Lee did bounce back with knocking out Ponzinibbio, but either way, I I put money on Lee in this fight, but I thought that sh- that Solikov was going to win because it was going to be primarily a striking bout. There were going to be no takedowns, none of that, and Solikov was a formidable striker. The dude has so many kickboxing wins under his belt; it's fucking insane. Um, how he got you know famous in MMA or had notoriety in MMA is like the his spinning. His uh, spinning back kick knockouts, the roundhouse kicks. Um, he got like four or five of them in a row, something crazy like that. So I expected Solikov to win this fight, but I bet money on Lee because one, the betting odds weren't looking too bad, and Lee is a dog, and he has that legit one punch knockout power. He can knock out anyone in the division. He has that one punch knockout power. If he lands that right hand, you're going out. So that's why I put money on Lee. He does. He didn't disappoint. And honestly, the fight up until that that point that portion of the second round, Solikov was winning. Solikov was just fighting him at distance. Lee wasn't able to close the gap and land any effective strikes. Granted, he was really loading up on that right hand a little bit too much. He wasn't throwing any combinations, hardly any leg kicks or anything. Solikov was doing too he was spinning a little too much, man. And I get that's your specialty and that's kind of like your bread and butter and your shtick, but it wasn't really landing. None of it was really landing. If you're constantly throwing that move and it's not landing, it's not good, man. You should you should get away from it a little bit. You know, you shouldn't stop spamming that move, even if it is your stick. You know, you have to time it perfectly. And I think that's what I think Edson Barbosa did that the best. Because yeah, he was famous for his spinning kicks, but he always timed it very well. You know, he wasn't just constantly spamming those spinning kicks. Uh, back and forth, left and right, left and right. He would, you know, use it precariously and with caution, you know, and, and have good time behind it and would really throw it when you least expect it. So I think Schnell was just throwing it like Saeed, the same issue. They were just throwing it a little too much. And that second round, Lee was able to close the gap, rocked him, uh, picked his shots carefully. He didn't swarm him right away. He was... uh. Still using effective striking and eventually just put Solikov out. So it wasn't going Lee's way at all. That one punch power came in handy and he was able to put Solikov away and win me money. So shout out to Lee, bro. Um, now I want to get into Lee most against Watterson. And this fight was this fight was very important for that division. Very important for that division. And I would say more important for Watterson's career. 
And it sucks because Watterson was so good at atom weight in Invicta. So good. And unfortunately, the UFC doesn't have that weight class. So she was always fighting for her UFC tenure outside of her weight class. And she never really, man, she, she never really lived up to the hype or the, the potential that we all had for her in the beginning, which kind of sucks. And up until this point, Warrison was only losing to people who are the very top of the division. So the cream of the cream of the division. When you look at her losses, either to champions, former champions, or people who fought for the belt, like Marina Rodriguez. So this is a real turning point in Warrison's career. It was either do you still have it or you slowly going downhill. And in that first round, Warrison won the first round. She, and I said, if I had money on Warrison in this fight too. I said, if Warrison's fighting at range, Lemos is not going to be able to close that range. Because Warrison's kicks are just, they're fucking amazing. Honestly, she's probably my favorite person to watch just regarding leg kicks alone, you know. Because the dexterity of her kicks are insane. So at range, Warrison was winning the fight. She was winning the fight. Lemos wasn't able to get off any punishment. Um, Warrison did score a takedown very easily too in that round. And it it's 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 always interesting watching former training partners fight because I always feel like it's more of a cautious fight when two former training partners fight because they know each other's tricks and and you know each other's weaknesses and strong suits etc. But Warrison was able to take Lemos down fairly easily and at the round in, in in top position, so I gave it to Warrison. Now the second round, Warrison shoots for a takedown. She wasn't able to get Lemos to the ground. Lemos jumped guillotine, um, and it was in tight, tapped out Watterson. Now, it was interesting because the referee didn't see the tap. The referee didn't see the tap at all. It was on the opposite side of where the referee was standing. So, I, I honestly want to shout out both women in this case. Because one, a lot of fighters, they have the, the, the notion, the thing that, oh, up until, until the referee stops it, I'm not letting go. Or until the referee stops it, I'm going to keep hitting my opponent. Which I understand that mindset there. But shout out to Lemos because she felt the tap. She knew it was tapping and she decided to let go. Even though the referee didn't stop it, she decided to let go. Some fighters would have kept hanging on to Warrison was asleep. Because the referee didn't stop the fight. Which it wouldn't be the end of the world because, you know, it's not that serious. Warrison would have woke up from being unconscious and be perfectly fine. But... Um, I, I do like the sportsmanship of just Lemos letting go. She felt the tap. She knew her opponent was tapping and decided to let go. Now, I have so much respect for Warrison as well because the referee didn't see the tap. So, you know, Lemos could have let go. Warrison could have just started raining ground and pound and possibly stop Lemos. Eventually, they would have reviewed the tape and they would have seen Warrison tapping. It would have made her look bad and it would have been counted most likely as a no contest, et cetera, et cetera. But most, some fighters would have did that. We've seen that against Fabricio Verdum in his PFL debut. That's what his opponent did to him. So I do respect that for Warrison. She just admitted. She was like, yo, you didn't see it, but I tapped. Like I tapped. She's the winner fair and square. So shout out to both women there for having integrity. For Lemos for letting go once she feels the tap. And for Warrison to say, I tapped even though the referee didn't stop the fight. So that's something that I really like to see. That sportsmanship there.
Now we're going to get to the main event, Yair against Ortega. I had money on Yair in this fight. I had money on Yair in this fight. And the reason why is I just think Yair is the better striker of the two. I think Yair is far better striking of the two. Even though, yeah, Ortega did improve on his striking. But as far as striking goes, Yair is more dynamic and it's just all around better. Cardio, I would give it to Ortega. And on top of that, if it's a striking battle, I know Yair is going to win. The only way I thought Ortega could win if he's able to take Yair down, which Yair doesn't have the best takedown defense because Max is able to take him down. And Max is not known for his grappling. So if Max can take you down, uh, I'm kind of worried about your takedown defense. But Yair has terrible takedown offense. It's literally at 24%. It's not even at a quarter. It's not good. His takedown offense is not good at all. After the fight, takedown offense is still like 24, 25%. So it didn't decrease or increase. So it's not good. His takedown offense is not good. Usually the times where you see where he sinks in these Hail Mary submissions. Um, honestly, most of the time we see him get these submissions at all is when he's getting the shit beat out of him for rounds on end. And his opponent slips up, makes a mistake. He's able to like to sink in a triangle or a guillotine or something like that. Those are the times where we see Ortega get these submission victories. Only in those instances. So I, I didn't have confidence in Ortega taking Yair to the ground. I, I didn't have confidence in him taking to the ground at all. So I figured, you know what? Yair's plus money right now. I'm going to give it to Yair. Brian Ortega takes a lot of damage. Yair is very fast, and he hits fucking hard. And on top of that, he's a dynamic striker. So you never know what he's going to throw. So I had money on Yair. And the fight played out basically how I kind of predicted it. Um, I think their, their strikes landed were relatively the same. I think Yair threw more, but what landed was the same. But Yair striking, he, la he landed by far the most dominating strikes. He was mixing up his combos. So he would go into to boxing. Then at the end of the exchanges, he would throw a leg kick and he would chop at that lead leg of Ortega. Um, the Ortega was you know, pushing the fight and coming forward, but he was getting kind of lit up in that first round. So he was able to clinch for Yair. It took him like a minute or two to get Yair to the ground. Once he got Yair to the ground, Yair jumped into a arm bar. And after the key, he pushed Ortega off, Ortega was able to get out, and that's when his shoulder came out of place. Now, Ortega has been having that shoulder problem for years, he said. He said that shoulder came out of his socket like two, three times already, which is not good. That's not good at all. Because if it's coming out that easily, once it comes out once, it's going to keep coming out. And it's going to get easier and easier and easier every time. And I don't know if there's a surgery that could fix that. I don't think so. Because all the people I know who have like, you know, shoulders out of sockets and, and that kind of injury, there's nothing you could do to fix it. So, or to my knowledge at least, maybe you can do stem cells, but I'm not even sure. I'm not a doctor, so don't fucking listen to me. But he, so it was, it, it was, it was very disappointing because it was the beginning of that. It was only a round in and we didn't really get to see much. Yeah, Yair was running up until that point, but at the end of the day, Yair caused that. It's not like, you know, he, he, it's not like it just popped out of the socket on its own. Yair got the arm bar and 
pseudo caused Brian Ortega's arm to come out of the socket. So is it the best win? No, unfortunately. I personally would love to see these two run it back eventually. Um, I know Ortega's going to be out for a while, at least, you know, six to maybe nine months or so. So if both men are have open availability, I would love to see them run this fight back. I think it was going to be a barn burner and an all-time classic, but it's just unfortunate. It's honestly just unfortunate. And it sucks that the co-main event and the main event ended in such a weird fashion, you know. But that's the fight game, man. It happens. And at the end of the day, I want money. So <laughs> I'm not complaining too much. Now, I want to get into MMA news slash drama. So GSP said he would come back to fight Khabib, Usman, or Shemaev. Now, I don't want to see GSP. GSP is my favorite fighter of all time for a number of different reasons, right? My all-time favorite fighter. Now, I don't want to see him fight anymore. He's 40-something years old. And he hasn't fought in, what, four or five years? So the dude retired. He retired. He retired, came out of retirement after like three years, and retired again. And he's been out of the game for like five, six years, bro. Like, I don't want to see him fight, dude. I don't want to see him fight. He's been out for too long. MMA is constantly evolving. I still think he beats most guys at 170. Most, most guys at 170. But the Khabib fight is never going to happen. It's just straight up never going to happen. It's a waste of time. Um, the Usman fight, I think, will be interesting because there you get to see, you know, who's the GOAT at welterweight. But then again, it's like, if Usman wins, then you fought an old GSP and it's not going to really, people are going to look, because if, if GSP fights Usman and Usman wins, everyone's going to be like, ah, oh, you fight an old GSP though. Like, yeah, you beat GSP, but you fought an old GSP. You know, like, what if you would have fought him in your prime? So it would just be a waste, man. And of course, GSP is not going to fight Shemaev, bro. Shemaev is still a rookie in the game. GSP is just saying that for clout, I feel. So I don't, uh, I don't, I don't think GSP just stay retired, bro. And I remember I seen a video of Mike Perry and fucking some Southern comedian talking. And Mike Perry said he heard stories of GSP just being a man whore. Good for you, bro. Good for you, GSP. You deserve all the fucking pussy in the world with your freaking... 9 to 10 tower defenses. The GOAT. The GOAT, baby. The fucking GOAT. The GOAT smashes who he wants. So, <laughs> after this, we have DC said he will come out of retirement to fight Yuri. So, back-to-back -back old motherfuckers talking about their coming out of retirement. Now, DC's mindset was a little different. Because he said he vacated. He, he, va he never lost that belt at, at lightweight. I mean... You lost it, John Jones. It's a no contest. We know what happened. He got knocked the fuck out. But technically, he never vague, He never lost that belt. So he's saying, you know, since I never lost it, I would. He said, I'm not going to heavyweight because Steve beat me twice at heavyweight. It is what it is. But I never lost that belt at light heavyweight. And the reason why he's saying that he would come out of retirement to fight Yuri is because Yuri is a good stylistic matchup for him. Yuri clearly has some deficits in takedown defense, and DC is one of the the best in wrestling in that division ever or the best in wrestling in all of MMA ever. So he would have a clear advantage there. 
Do I see DC actually coming out of retirement? No. He's old. He has to drop the weight. He's probably been eating like absolute garbage lately. Um, I, I just don't see it. Granted, he only retired like two years ago, so it wouldn't be that much, but I don't see it either, man. It's just, just I think he should just retire, to be honest with you. Now, the UFC lobbying on a bill that can affect fighter pay and employment status. Now, I don't know the exact bill per se, but I think the bill is regarding like employment status and what can be regarded as an employee or what can be regarded as a uh, as a um, uh, independent contractor. And it kind of broadens that aspect of it, kind of broadens what's classified as a as a as employee and what classifies as an independent contractor. Basically, what the UFC is doing is that they're giving money to these lobbyists so that they can still pay the fighter shitty. They can still say they're independent contractors, but have contracts that are basically like employment, but not give any of the benefits of actual actually being an employee. That's what the UFC is trying to do in a gist. And it's crazy because... There's still fighters who they are defending the UFC and like, yo, the UFC is paying us enough and et cetera, et cetera. Dude, the UFC is actively doing shit, actively lobbying in politics to not pay you, to not pay you what you deserve. And yet you're still saying that you're still defending the UFC and fighter pay. It just doesn't make any sense. It literally just doesn't make any sense. Now, Usman said it's my job as champion to prove Shamaya is not on my level. And I'm I'm very, I mean, this is a very broad thing to say, but I'm very happy that Usman's saying this. Because what I've been worried about is, you know, Usman says he wants the game soon, and, you know, Usman only has a few years left in fighting, which, you know, he, he's getting up there in age, so I respect that. But what I was worried is most of the people that Usman's beat in his title reign has been... Kobe twice, Masvidal twice, burnt. I want to see him fight a high-level wrestler. I want to see him fight Shemaev. I want to see him fight Sean Brady. I want to see him fight uh, Rachmanov. If Usman could beat those three guys, I have no problem calling Usman the greatest welterweight of all time. If he beats all three, no problem. My thing was, I was scared that Usman was going to retire before fighting him. I was scared that Usman was going to retire before fighting Shemaev. Or, you know, fighting Sean Brady or, shine, or fighting Rock Bondoff. So I'm happy that Usman is saying that he wants to fight Shemaev. And he wants to prove that he's a level above Shemaev. Which I do think he is. I think Usman wins that belt. I, especially seeing how the Burns fight played out. I think Burns won. But I think Usman definitely wins that bout. Um, but still, I'd love to see him fight Brady and Rock Bondoff after. Um... Now we're back to Usman. Usman says that he'll move up to 205 um, to fight for the belt eventually. Now, of course, he's not going to fight at 185 because Izzy's champion there. Because they're friends and they're both from Nigeria, so they're not going to fight each other. Now, if Alex Pereira beats Izzy, might be a different story. Then I don't know. But Usman's big, man. Like, there's a picture of Usman and, and, and uh, Blokovic standing next to each other. And Usman's not that small than Blockowitz, man. They're relatively almost the same size. So Usman would be, he wouldn't be small for the weight class. He would be, he would look like a, he'll look fairly normal against most 205ers. Um, 
But dude, that's a big step up. That's a whole 30 pounds up. You know, that's that's a big step up in punching power for your opponents. So, and punching power in your regard. Because he's putting people away at 170, but can he do that at 205? I don't know. But I respect the fact that he's doing it. He'll be the first person ever to jump over a weight class to fight for a title, which is fucking insane. So I respect the balls that he has on doing them and, and, and the fact that he wants to truly pursue greatness like that. But I don't know if that's a good move for him, to be honest. I'd, ra- I'd rather much see him fight at 185, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. Now, Whitaker says the undersigned performers at 276 was underappreciated. He was saying how fans really appreciate how technical Anasanya really is and he kind of take it for granted. And I would say it's true, man. Listen, from a hardcore MMA fan standpoint, I enjoy watching Anasanya because he's a technical genius. He throws everything with the utmost intent and caution. So it's hard to land a shot on him. It's hard to to really push Anasanya. Um, Anasanya can literally just win off leg kicks, which is fucking insane. You understand? You You really don't understand how good you have to be in order to just win off leg kicks. Like the leg kick is his jab. The fact that you can win off leg kicks and your opponent can't do much um, damage on you is fucking insane. So I do think that he's he's, he's very underappreciated. But from a casual MMA viewer standpoint, I can see why they don't like watching him fight because he's not the most exciting fighter. And it's kind of weird because he's considered a big seller for the UFC but the fans, all they do is complain every time he fights because he's not you know, knocking people out. Then again, casual fans suck. Casual MMA fans suck so much cock, bro. They suck. They boo for everything. They're upset at everything. They just want to see two people just throw down caution to the wind like a fucking backyard school fight. Like That's all they want to see. They don't like the technical aspect of MMA at all. They fucking don't even appreciate grappling. So I, I, I really don't give a shit what the casual fans have to think of but when you go to an mma event most of his casual fans most of his fans who you know they don't watch it week in week out like we do um so i can i can i can understand i i can understand why it's getting the very is becoming underappreciated his performances so um i do think that it's really not much we can do I, but then again, this happens to all the greats. Like people say the same shit about John Jones. People said the same thing about Anderson Silva a few times. Like people call Anderson Silva boring, when in reality, most of his fights he was finishing dudes in spectacular fashion. But but just because he had a boring fight against Damian Maya, they're calling him boring. So, I, I this is gonna happen to all the greats. I feel like people are gonna shit on on Asanya's career. They're gonna just sit on Asanya's career and saying he was boring. Then after when he retires, they would give him the the appreciation he deserves. That's what I think he's going to do. But when you're a champion, you're going to fight cautious. It is what it is. Why would he fight reckless? He's a champ. You know, it doesn't make sense. So, Yair explains why he doesn't spar anymore. So, Yair is saying how he doesn't spar anymore. And it's because you, you, get all, you get into these wars in the gym and that's where... You really take in all the brain damage. He's like, dude, I know how to fight. I've been fighting for years, so I don't need to spar anymore. And here's the thing, right? Logically, it makes sense because you're saying, oh, you've done something for so long, for so many years. I don't need to do this anymore. 
I don't think that's true. I think fighters should still spar, but they shouldn't do hard sparring. Here's why. Typically, when people do hard sparring, they're hitting each other full force. And that was kind of the reputation the reputation in MMA in the beginning and definitely in boxing. In boxing, motherfuckers were just knocking each other out. You're knocking your training partners out, just giving each other CTE with no pay. So that was the reputation in boxing. It kind of seeped into MMA where they're just doing hard sparring and you know going at each other full force. I can see why sometimes you would need to do some hard sparring. But in sparring, you should have the mindset of how the ties do it. How a lot of Muay Thai fighters spar, which is you're just touching your opponent. You're just touching your opponent. You're, the sparring is just to try new stuff. Sparring is to try new stuff, and you're just touching your opponent. You're not hitting hard. Just touch, just touch, just touch, just touch. So you're not taking damage. When you don't spar at all, what can happen is your timing could be off. Your timing could be way off. Your speed could be off. Because you're not throwing any punches anymore. You're not sparring at all. You're not trying to hit any. You're not trying to hit your opponent. So they can be ducking and dodging and moving. And your timing and your power and everything about your striking prowess is just off. And that's what I feel like starting to happen with Max Holloway. Because Max Holloway stopped sparring. And yeah, he, he fucked Cater up that first time. But you look at the air fight, his striking wasn't as, you know, he didn't have that same striking prowess that he did in the Cater fight compared to the air fight. Like, his, his, his timing and accuracy in the Cater fight was phenomenal. In the air fight, not so much. And then you fast forward another year in the Volkanovski fight, and it, it, he looked even slower, and his timing was off even more. So I do think that you should maybe take a break from sparring. You shouldn't do as much sparring. You should do it like the ties do. But I, I don't know about doing it at all. Because I think that's, that's going to fuck up your timing. That's going to fuck up a lot of aspects of your game. So I personally wouldn't do that. But then again, I'm not a fighter, and I can see why their mindset is to not spar. And Dana White says that if Yair wins, he gets a title shot. And here's the thing, right? I can't justifiably give Yair that title shot. And I understand why the UFC wants to do it. The UFC wants to give the title shot because Yair sells. He's Mexican-American. The UFC wants to get in that market. They've been trying to get in that market for years since Cain Velasquez was champion, they've been trying to get in that market, and that didn't work out. So they're really trying to get in that market, man, because the Mexican fans love combat sports. They're some of the biggest boxing fans out there. So they're trying to tap into that market as much as possible. So you having a Mexican champion, having Mex uh, a Mexican-American or Mexican general fighting for a belt, it's, it's a good look and can help you gain that fan base. So, of course, they're going to do that. And on top of that, Yair is flashy. The casuals know him. The casuals love him. He's a bigger name, and he sells. So, of course, they're going to want Yair to fight for a belt. From a business standpoint, it makes more sense. Now, does he deserve it? No. Even if he would have won this fight in like dominating fashion, I still think he, he wouldn't have deserved it. Because he's just coming off of, he just has one win. He's coming off a loss and has got one win. I'm not a fan of fighters getting title shots like that. Um... And on top of that, you had Emmett, who was coming off of a five-fight win streak. And on top of that, his Emmett's resume is far better than Yair's. Emmett's resume is far better than Yair's. 
hands down, top to bottom. It, it, you can't justify to me, logically, that Yair deserves a title shot over Emmett. Doesn't make sense. As far as what both men has accomplished in their resumes currently and their win streaks, it doesn't make sense. Now, from a business standpoint, then you can you can argue. But from you know a pure you know a pure MMA fan standpoint, it doesn't make sense. So I don't see how you can give Yair a title shot here. Now here's what you can do. You can have Yair against Emmett. Yair against Emmett, and let's make it. You can possibly make that interim title bout. And I only say that because you really don't need an interim title. Let's be real here. You don't need an interim title for a division. You can do that to sell the fight. You can do it to sell the fight more. So UFC just wants to sell fights. So And they don't give a fuck about interim titles. It means nothing to them. Literally, it's a gimmick. They just use it because they know when people see a title that, that they're going to buy more. So you can throw an interim title in that bitch. And it would sell, and the winner of that would be the rightful contender for the belt. Now, I do think Emma has done enough to fight for the belt, but I wouldn't mind him fighting Yair to fight for the belt. And honestly, if Emma against Yair, I'm going with Emmett. Yes, Yair has, is a more dynamic striker, and Yair is faster. But Yair does get hit. Emma is the hardest hitter of the division. And on top of that, Emmett has the ability, he has fairly good takedown offense. And Yair's takedown defense is not good. So, and on top of that, Emmett's um is a come forward fighter, and he he has far better cardio. So I would choose Emmett over Yair in that fight in general. Honestly, I really would. I think Emmett would do terrible things at Yair. But I think that's that's probably the way to go, to be honest with you. Now I want to get into the pitchy predictions portion of the podcast. We're going to be doing predictions on UFC London, which is next week. So there's a bunch of British cunts who, I don't know what the fuck they're saying. When you have English people talk, I don't know what the fuck they're saying. I'm going to be honest with you. It depends what region. Like, Queen's English, I can understand. It just sounds snobby. But when someone from Liverpool starts talking, like Patty Pimblett and like Darren Till... We need some subtitles in this bitch. Because I don't know what the fuck these dudes be saying. I don't know. They, they sound like... I don't know what the fuck... Bro, it sounds like Ringo Starr of peanut butter in their mouth. I don't know what the fuck these dudes... And they're speaking dumb fast too. I don't know what the fuck you're saying. So that's just a side tangent. But I'm going to be going over UFC London. And first up, we have Curtis Blaze against uh, Aspinall. This is an interesting fight. This is a very interesting fight. Because when you look at who Curtis has lost to only against champions and people who fought for the belt. He only lost to what? Derek Lewis and Francis Nagano. I think that's it. I think that's it. I don't think he lost to anyone else. I might be missing one person, but that's it. There's only two losses. There's only losses that he has. Just top, 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 cream of the cream of the division. So, and of course, of course he has that wrestling prowess over everyone in the division too. And Aspinall still has a lot of stuff to prove. If Aspinall is able to beat Curtis Blades, Aspinall is a real deal. Aspinall is the real deal, and he's has the ability to fight for the belt. Do I favor him over Francis? No. But do I favor him over Stipe? No. Do I favor him over John Jones? No. But he he is definitely championship worthy. 
So if Aspinall is able to beat Curtis Blades, he's a real deal, bro. He's the real, real, real deal. Now, that being said, striking-wise, I think Aspinall is the far better striker than Curtis Blades. Curtis Blades, yes, he got TKO his last fight. He's not known as a striker, known as a wrestler. Wrestling-wise, Curtis Blades has that over Aspinall. But Aspinall is a wizard on the ground. He's one of those few heavyweights that are very dangerous with submissions. It's very, very, very rare. Kind of reminds me of like, he reminds me of Frank Mir 2.0. He's like Frank Mir, and Frank Mir had a, a fairly good wrestling game and good striking, fast hands. So he's like, he reminds me of a Frank Mir 2.0. Both have curly ass hair. So Frank Mir 2.0, that's what Asnor reminds me of. And I, I'm gonna, I'm betting on Curtis Blades, right? I do think Asnor has a very good chance of winning. But I'm betting on Curtis Blades because Curtis Blades is the underdog. Curtis Blades has beaten far better competition than Aspinall. Curtis Blades is a veteran. Curtis Blades has fucking dominant wrestling. And Curtis Blades has only lost to the best. So that's why, and he's plus money. So that's why I'm going with Curtis Blades. Honestly, this fight is so up in the air for me. Whoever was plus money, I would have went for. So if Aspinall was plus money, I'm like, yo, Aspinall has a legit chance of winning. I'm going Aspinall. That's how much this fight's up in the air for me. So I'm going with Curtis Blades. Then we have Jack Hermanson against Chris Curtis. I swear to God, Chris Curtis fought like two weeks ago. The dude fought like two weeks ago. What the fuck? How do you make this turnaround? I, I he have to have fought two, three, four, five, four or five weeks ago. Like the dude just fought, man. He literally just fought. And he's fighting against someone against you know Jack Hermanson. I love Chris Curtis. Chris Curtis is great. The dude is fucking a lovable guy. He just seems like one of those people that's just like, it's hard to hate him. So I love Chris Curtis. I don't know if he can... Here's the thing, right? Because Chris Curtis looked very good in his last fight. His takedown defense looked very good in his last fight. He fought someone who was primarily a jiu-jitsu guy, and the jiu-jitsu guy wasn't able to take him to the ground at all. I forgot the guy's name. But wasn't Chris Curtis stuffed every takedown. So his takedown defense is very good. Now, Jack Hermanson it's a it's basically stylistically the fight he just had just a notch above. So Jack Hermanson, again, jiu-jitsu guy, but his takedown offense is far better. So it's going to be interesting to see if Chris Curtis can handle himself the same way he did in his last fight when he's fighting someone with the exact same stylistic opponent as his last fight. So that being said, I liked Chris Curtis's takedown defense. I was very impressed by it. I'm, I'm, I'm putting money on Chris Curtis, man. He is the underdog. I love some Chris Curtis, so I'm putting money on Chris Curtis. I don't know if you should bet in this fight. This one, I don't know. You can, you might, you should probably skip this one. But I, I'm putting money on Chris Curtis. Then we have Patty Debatty against Jordan Levitt. Bro, I'm not, I'm not high on on Patty. I'm not high on Patty at all, man. Yeah, he's a jiu-jitsu ace, but the dude gets hit often. His striking is not that good. Yeah, I think he got TKO in his last fight, but he gets hit a lot, man. And if he starts to fight the up the, the top tiers in his division at 155, he's gonna get slapped. He's gonna get slapped. Um it should be 145. Um but I think I think he'll pull I think he's gonna pull this one off. Jordan Levitt is good, but I think Patty is all around a better fighter. So I expect Patty to win this one. 
Then we have Gustafsson against Krylov. Ah, oh, man. Gustafsson had that one fight in heavyweight, and he lost right away in a, I think, in a leg lock. Um, really didn't go his way there. So he's back at 205. And it sucks, man, because Gustafsson, if DC wasn't a champion, if, if John Jones and DC weren't in light heavyweight, this would have been Gustafsson's error. Error. I really believe that. Gustafsson was just, at the time, in his prime, he was going through everyone, man. He was fucking going through everyone. He nearly beat John Jones. So as far as how he's going to perform in this fight, I don't think he beats Krylov, man. I think Gustafson is, is far beyond his time. Yeah, you know, he's going back down to his rightful division. But before he left light heavyweight, he wasn't doing that good. He went to heavyweight, wasn't doing that good. I just think his time has passed. I just think his time has passed. Then we have Paul Craig against Ozdemir. Fuck. This fight's good. This fight's interesting. The two fights that interest me the most in this card is Curtis Blades and Paul Craig against Ozdemir. Because Paul, Paul Craig is on a good win streak, man. Much respect to Paul Craig. He completely turned around his career. That Scottish bastard. He turned around his career. It did a whole 180. He was going on a, a losing streak. I think he got a sports psychologist, and which I think all athletes should, should do that at some point. No matter what sport you play. If you're a professional athlete, you should get one at one point. But completely turned around his career. I think he's on like a six-fight win streak. But Ozemir is a real deal, bro. He is the real, real deal. If Paul Craig doesn't... The only, I think the only way Paul Craig is winning if he does like a Hail Mary submission, man. If he get The only way I see Paul Craig winning is if he gets submission very early in the first or very late in the third. Other than that, I'm giving it to Ozemir. But this is episode 12 of R6 MMA Talk. The fight after the fight with me, your boy Noah Petrie. This episode will be dropping Tuesday, 7 a.m. That's the time and date, baby. That's what we do. You can follow me on Instagram at Noah underscore A underscore Petrie or on Twitter at Noah Petrie R6. And guys, I hope you have a good week and I'll talk to you next time. Bye. <music>